Welcome everyone to episode five of the MBE Enterprise Podcast, where we talk about money, business, and entrepreneurship with some of the brightest business minds I know. On episode five here, I am joined by founder and CEO of Recents, Luke Gilligan. Luke, how are we doing today? Doing good. Happy to be here. Awesome, Luke. I'm super happy to have you. Excited for this episode. Um, first question I really want to ask you today, Luke, is can you tell us a little about your company, Recents, the origins of it, the, the story of how it's come along and, and what it's up to today? Yeah, so... Recents was created out of a class in my college, at grocery college called Lean Launchpad, where we had to come up with an idea that solves a problem in our lives or something that we've noticed and create a business idea from it. And I was a caregiver all throughout high school. Um, I run a couple of different businesses, but uh, my first job was caregiving. And so I've always worked with individuals with dementia, special needs. And so I wanted to solve a problem within that industry because one of the biggest things that I ever noticed was when these individuals with dementia were getting cared for in nursing homes, assisted living facilities, they're getting treated like children. It really broke my heart. Like these war vets were being given My Little Pony coloring books. Like to me, the respect and support that they gave us, like they're our grandparents, they're our parents. Um, we weren't given the same respect back. And so I created Recents, and we basically create dementia-friendly and holistic um, activities and healthcare products, uh, mainly regarding uh, activities for individual caregivers who have never been trained on how to care for an individual with dementia. So we started with a Connecting Comfort Kit, which is a toolkit. We give 10 different products that target the five senses, and it increases brain health um, by about four months with use of our product. And then over the time, we've introduced new products like coloring books, and our newest one is called the Recents Register, which is a dementia-friendly newspaper. Um, small idea, but it impacts a lot of people's lives, so uh, I'm really happy about it. And it's growing, and it's two years in officially, and I'm just excited to see the impact on these people's lives and how much more we can do in the future. So. For sure, yeah, I can I can really tell. I get the vibe from you that's it's something you really care about. And it's also an issue that you're clearly not, you didn't just approach it with the idea of, I want to do this business to make money. You want to do this business to really make an impact on people's lives and, and make a positive, uh, make, well, just make a positive impact on their life really. And um, Luke, what are some, what are some uh, steps you've taken along the way to really get resense to where it's at right now? And And what I mean by that are, what are some uh, what are some pitfalls? What are some issues you ran into right away, and what are some of the things you've had to overcome to get to where Resense is today? Yeah, um, oh, we've had to overcome a lot of stuff. It's we live in an era of technology and all of this new generation of products, all these things. But I'm creating a product and a company and an industry that is stuck in the '60s. It's an old industry. We are creating products for individuals that don't know what technology is. They don't know how to use an iPad, how to use a computer. And so I think one of the hardest things for me to realize was I need to focus on the customer. I need to focus on who I'm impacting. And even some of our customers involve like caregivers um, because dementia patients can't purchase on their own. So how do I create a product, but also market it in a way that I can reach them in a way that they will understand? I think that was our biggest thing to overcome because in the beginning we were selling it like a normal company like we're taught is use social media use all these different tools to share your product you don't need like door-to-door -door marketing essentially and then we realized that that wouldn't work in this industry we have to cold email and do cold calls and that type of stuff and i think that was our biggest thing to overcome and then the other thing is we started this company in the pandemic so it was very hard to create a physical product that they have to interact with. And we had to test in these nursing homes without being able to be there. It was a very odd experience having to send them physical products, giving them like videos on how to use it, that type of stuff, but not be able to witness this. Like when you're doing customer feedback and testing, especially for medical products, you kind of have to witness it. Um, and so that was like an interesting thing to overcome. And I think you have to use your entrepreneurial mind when you, especially in the pandemic, I don't know a company that didn't have to go back to the roots and figure out, okay, how do we 
still impact people's lives, create a product that people love, but do it in a unique way now. Um, so those were a few of the recent, like recent things that recent had to go, recent had to go through. I think I've resurrected this company like four times. Honestly, I have had to create new products, create new ways to advertise it. It's been a journey. It's been a, really because it's a, it's a unique industry. And I think that's the biggest thing is understanding the industry that you are, you're in. I've run companies in two different industries, and this one is the biggest one that I've ever had to work with. So that was one thing I was actually going to ask was it sounds like pivoting has been a pretty important piece of resense and, and not so much pivoting the the entire business as a whole or pivoting to a new one, but pivoting within that market and how you are actually approaching uh, everything. Another thing you brought up was your reliance and, and rightfully so on, on the customers and customer feedback. And I think that's so huge. Um, could you describe kind of tying together some of those pivots or some of the feedback you've received from your customers and how you've made changes accordingly? Yeah. Um, one of the biggest pivots that we ever had to do is we created this product based off of psychologists' data. So we worked with 90 different psychologists, medical experts, and we created a product that would hypothetically, like in the perfect world, be perfect for these individuals. But when we actually went and started giving it out, we realized that this product is great, but caregivers, care partners don't have the time to spend hours with these individuals and work through it one-on-one. -on -one. And so the biggest pivot that I had to figure out is based off of customer feedback was, okay, how as a care partner, what time do you have to spend with these individuals? How can we make your life easier so that you can have the time to spend it with these individuals and use our products? And that's how we had to create other products to take ease, like ease their workload. And so then they have the quality time to use our main product, which are the activities. And that was just straight up customer interviews. And I did, I've done hundreds, I do them every week of going and saying, okay, how can we be even better if, if we have this product, how could it be even better? How are we, where are our pitfalls as recents and how can we make your life easier? And I think those interviews are the one thing that has kept this company alive because I, I'm getting straight data from the people that use the products and they are the people to listen to because they'll tell me where this company needs to go. Um, so it's been an interesting journey of having to parallel like coincide product development with product feedback and creating products based off of it to then help another product. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it makes, that makes complete sense. I love, yeah. I love that answer. And, and really, I think it speaks to something extremely important for future entrepreneurs, anyone, anyone listening to this. One thing that I think is super huge is everyone thinks about scale. And, and to a certain extent, you do have to think about scale and how you would go about scaling your business when you start it the long term, right? But another thing that people think about is like, how am I going to, how am I going to expand? How am I going to do this? How am I going to make the changes? And I think something that people don't always think about is, is that customer feedback. Like you said, that will tell you exactly where you need to go. That is the data you need to listen to. You don't have to be so concerned with what am I going to do next? What's our next area of innovation going to be perhaps? Because innovation is a key aspect of every business, but those customers will tell you exactly how you have to innovate if you use proper feedback systems and mechanisms for receiving that data. So I think that's something that's extremely important. And the fact that you know, you're know you such a young age and obviously you're a, a great entrepreneur and we would expect this out of you, but from such a young age to just really go with that and, and just know that that's what's going to lead the company, your company in the right direction long-term, I think is great. Um, I have to ask you, you would consider this more of like B2B in a way of a, of a company, right? Like you're yeah. kind of selling to the people who are then delivering the product to the to the, those people? Yeah, so that was one of our pivots, is our initial target customer. We, we have a dual market. So we're serving our, our users are the individuals with dementia. Our customers are the purchasers. And we initially, when we started this, thought, thought that the purchasers would be um, specific nursing homes, like individual nursing homes, or on a parallel side, a family member or a loved one. So we have a B2B business and a B2C business going, going at the same time. 
And I think the biggest pivot that we had to realize is that nursing homes don't have funding. And so I had to, using feedback again, realize that you had to go corporate. So there's something called care networks where they own hundreds of, of individual nursing homes. And I think that was when we pivoted and realized who our decision makers were and really targeting those and realized really getting down into the nitty gritty and figuring out exactly what job description we need to be reaching out to and who would be able to make the decisions that we need. And then on the other side of it, for caregivers, we had to target specific ones because a lot of people don't have the money to spend for these products, especially if they're doing full-time care for one or two parents. Um, and so it's been an interesting journey doing B2B and B2C at the same time because they're growing at the same time. It's not like one's growing faster than the other. Um, and it's just it's essentially running two different companies. Um, so that's always my answer because I get that asked that all the time. I'm, I'm doing B2B and B2C, but they're separate. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, so that answer to that, um, I have a question following that with that growth yeah. aspect you mentioned, how they're growing, they're both growing well, which is obviously congratulations, that's important. Um, if one side were to start growing at a much more rapid rate, you know, or, or maybe not much more rapid, but growing uh, better than the other one, is that something you would look into then of like focusing more resources, primarily putting your resources into that one end? Or is the duality aspect of it something that you really is important to you moving forward and continuing on with it? And, you know, there's no right answer. I'm just kind of curious. No, that's a great question. Um, yeah, honestly, I, if, we're at that situation right now on this week in the last month, I've been working on a few deals that will more than like quadruple our company, but it's on the B2B end. And so in my like heart, I love helping the individual caregivers. Obviously I was one of them and it's a very hard decision as a CEO to go, okay, do I follow the money and the impact? Cause in my eyes, if I can work with four times the amount of care communities, that's four times the amount of people. But I also want to help those underdogs, those people that don't get the help that they need. And so right now I'm at a situation where I am taking half the company, going B2B, and my other half I'm considering doing nonprofit. So having a nonprofit arm to the company. So I still get to reach out to those people, help them, and honestly give it out for free so they don't have to pay me while the other side of the company can fund that. Um, so yeah, that's. I think that's a, it's a great question and it's something that I've been really having to wrestle with for the last couple of months because it is a hard decision to make um, because in a way it sounds selfish to follow the money when there's people out there that need help. So I always try to find a way to do both and help people with it. So Yeah. And I think your answer, I mean, the fact you brought up the nonprofit end of it, just to continue that, that arm of the company shows how important that really is to you. So, and I want to say to you, Luke, from me personally, I don't think it's selfish to chase that. You you phrase it as chasing the money, but if you phrase it as really chasing the impact, if that's the way the world runs on money, whether we like it or not, right? So if, if that's the way that you are going to be able to really have a greater impact and actually help more individuals in the long term, then you know, I, I would take that weight off your shoulders in that way and not, and not consider that as totally a selfish decision. You know what I mean? Because that's that's extremely important. That's part of the reason, at least, you know, uh, half the reason that you created the business in the first place. So yeah, I would, I, I wouldn't say it's totally selfish. I totally understand what you're saying with that, but yeah, you know, I, I'd give yourself a little bit of respect there. Give yourself a little bit of the benefit of doubt on that because that's something that's, it, it's needs to be done if you really want to create that massive large scale impact. And I think that's important. Um, one thing that we, I want to bring up as well is when you are working with those clients, uh, what are some of the most important factors you use in really fostering the relationships that you have with your customers, with your clients, building those relationships long term? Um, what are are there certain character traits of yours you think help you with that? Are there certain skills you've worked on that you really try and implement when you're when you're building those relationships? Uh, take me through that a little bit, Luke. Yeah, so. I'm 22. I'm a young kid learning as I go, right? The biggest lesson that I think I've ever been told by a entrepreneur or like a key mentor in my life is humbleness. It literally just one word, humbleness, um, and taking the high road. 
uh, in situations. And so that is like one thing that I always try to focus on is gentleness and humbleness in any interaction that I'm with, especially with these customers. They are sometimes frustrated, sometimes exhausted, and they don't know what they're doing. And so sometimes if they get a product that it might be slightly, the quality might be worse or something might be off with the order and I'm getting a phone call of this, an angry, angry customer. I want to keep that relationship that obviously they need the help and I'm willing to be there for them and I want to be there for them. And so I think like any entrepreneur, when dealing with customers, when dealing with partners or potential clients, that type of thing, is just have humbleness and be the gentle one in the relationship. And so when I'm talking with them, I'm always open and transparent. I was like, I would love to know what I'm doing wrong. Please tell me, how can I build this company? Because that's the only way I can do it is if you tell me what I'm doing wrong so I can improve upon it. And I think that phrase, even better if, is something that I use daily. Is how can I be even better if we do this? Or how can this product be even better if we do that? And I think that's what really keeps these relationships going because they see that openness in me and are willing to give that back and we can have a great relationship and grow. I like to treat them like friends because I get to know them. And it is especially in this industry, it's a very hard thing because I do get to know our clients and our customers. And like recently, um, we have a newspaper, so we have to do subscriptions, right? And we've had clients die and they people had to come with to us and cancel their subscription. And they're like, we don't want to do this, but we kind of like my loved one just died. And so it's like sending flowers to them and sending them thank you notes for just being a lo like a loyal customer for us and helping them through that grief journey as well. And I, that's the part of entrepreneurship that I love is they're strangers, but they're friends. And you should treat any customer like that, because if you treat a customer like a friend, you'll treat them with the respect that you have for your friends. And that's honestly how I've been growing relationships. And I try to do that with key partners, anyone new investors that we work with or large, large customers. Same thing. When you're working with C-suite, you got to a lot of times you got to be humble and be willing to take advice and it will just go a long way if you can sometimes you might want to say something and just get it off your chest but it's easier just to not and take the high road um that's yeah yeah that's ex extremely you mentioned that was probably the most impactful lesson a mentor has ever taught you and i think it's it's an extremely good one uh that that humbleness factor and and, and one thing a way of rephrasing that that i like to think of is just the idea that you're already embodying of that you can learn something from everyone, right? Everyone knows some category of things, at least one, probably far more than that, better than you do and better than I do. So if you approach every relationship with that humble aspect, with that humble uh, personality trait, and then just know that you really can learn something from everyone, I think that's an extremely important way to approach it. And it sounds like you're obviously doing that extremely well. And, and once again, implementing that feedback and just knowing that that's what's really going to drive your business going forward. And, and that will provide you with all the data you need to know where you need to go is just, it is really is great. It sounds so simple, but I think it's, it gets overlooked a lot in business and especially in the you know industry that you are in, it's, it's even more important um, with that. You mentioned the newspaper, Luke, and that makes me think of kind of earlier when you said the technology of it. The tech, the technology of your business is is old school, right? It's it's you're serving people who likely, like you said, don't know how to use an iPad or have never had experience with this newer technology. Totally against that, AI is becoming an extremely new thing, an extremely influential, impactful, innovative thing across pretty much every industry we see in the world today. At Recense, do you have any, um, are you using AI? Are you trying to in, input AI machine learning into what you're doing? And if so, how exactly are you going about that process? Yeah, um, I use AI every day. I, it, it has helped grow this company extremely well. Um, if you think about it, I have a newspaper and I have a team of six people. Uh, writing newspapers every week takes a while, eight articles and a bunch of different crosswords. So what we do is with the register, the recent registers, the title of the newspaper, it is dementia friendly, meaning it's positive news. So there's no negativity. It's not current news. 
um, but it's also timeless. So there's no mention of dates. Like the specific thing is I don't want to frustrate. And a lot of the times these individuals can be stuck in certain decades. Um, I used to work with a client who she was 70 years old and every night when I would come to give her dinner, she'd be like, oh, I need to get on the bus to get my brother off or I have to get my brother off the bus so I can babysit him. I was like, it's seven o'clock at night and you're not 10 years old anymore, but they're stuck in that mindset. And we want to be able to, we don't want to tell them they're wrong. Like live your life. If that's what's making you happy, do it. And so we created a newspaper that doesn't question any of that. So if they read it, they can be stuck in the sixties, but still be able to understand it. And AI has helped us a lot with that because I don't, we write all our articles, but then we can put it into chat GPT or AI and be able to say, okay, make this present tense or make this future tense. And it really helps us break it down. So write this as a sixth grade reading level. Wild what AI can do. Um, we also use it every day for like automation and just trying to make our lives easier. We're a team, but we need, we could always use more people. And so being able to automate and do different, like use different systems to be able to make our life easier has always been, um, it's been a great thing. And for anyone that's ever questioning whether to use AI, I always say go for it. It's making your life easier and I don't know why you want it. It's a wonderful thing. So that's, we are a very old school business and that's what we create, but we can use new technologies to create those old school products. So I, I totally agree with what you said there. And I think it's an extremely, extremely beneficial way of looking at it for both yourself individually, but then also the company as a whole, because I mean, you mentioned you have you know six, um, employees, coworkers, people you work with in the company. Um, if you can better, better use AI to scale, better use AI to automate activities, you still have that personal touch of them writing it, right? It's not, you're not completely, you know, voiding this yourself, voiding the customers of that human experience, that, that human touch, right? But you mentioned rephrasing things. You mentioned putting them in, in present tense. You mentioned um, simplifying reading levels, you know, all of that sort of thing that you can just do so much faster with AI. And by using that and integrating that into your company, it then allows you to grow quicker, right? Mm -hmm. Some people would say, oh, you're just trying to make more money. Or you're just also trying to get more customers, make a better impact, help more people, right? Like so many people will take the the pessimistic view of it in a way and be like, oh, you, you know, you're just trying to make more money. You're just trying to do this. Like money is the vehicle that runs the businesses. If you're going to have a greater impact, what comes along with that is more money. So a lot of times if you're doing things just for the money, you won't grow nearly as well as if you truly are doing it because of the passion that you have. And then the money is just a vehicle that comes along with it, you know? And certainly there there's exceptions and there's cases where it's it's otherwise, but in something like this and just with the way you phrase your answers and your personality as a whole, you can really tell that that's something that is important to you. And integrating AI, I mean, there's no reason not to do it nowadays. The people understanding the capabilities of it, it has its limitations, you know, right now. But uh, Luke, a little bit of a creative question for you. Where do you, where do you see AI going in the next five, 10 years? Do you think there's going to be, um, do you think it's going to be stagnated for a while? Do you think it's going to continue exploding in the growth that it kind of has? I feel like since it's obviously been growing, but since chat GPT, I feel like it's, that was kind of lit a spark in people of really understanding what it can do for those those people not in the tech space where do you kind of see it going and do you have any visions of of hope of like hoping what you might be able to do it with recents and ai in the future absolutely yeah um i think kind of what you mentioned there's two different ways of thought thinking about this you always hear the people that think ai is going to take over the world and we're going to lose all our jobs that type of thing i think the opposite i think we are right now just touching on the technology innovation age like the innovation and in technology i know people are like oh yeah the ipad came out 10 years ago that type of thing we're barely touching what and what we can do with technology and i think it's honestly be going to be good or ai is going to be used for good i think being able to utilize technology and ai to be able to like especially with cameras and scan and like i recently read an article about school shootings and using ai and technology like that just to automatically read body language is insane that we can do that, but it's also changing the world. If we did that, it would change the world. That's how I view it. I think 
yes, we might be a little bit stagnant for a little bit as we try to figure out the, I guess, uh, morality behind how we're going to do this. I feel like it could easily be taken and used for evil, but I think it also could be very much used for good. And especially with recent, I look at caregiving and right now, one of the biggest things is that there's not enough time for caregiving. There's not enough caregivers out there and there's not enough money to pay them. And I think there's way better ways that we could innovate within caregiving using AI and using technology and being able to impact these individuals' lives that way. And so, yeah, I think the healthcare systems are going to get better um, or getting, yeah, better from AI technology innovation. And I really hope that we can see that soon. I I think there's a giant need for it. And I think anyone that looks at the nursing um, climate right now and the environment would say that. Uh, I think the biggest thing you read on headlines all the time, there's not enough nurses out there. There's not enough staffing. There's not enough care. And that could get fixed really quick if we innovate and use some technology and utilize AI to help us get there and do it faster. I think that's what's going to change the world is, yes, we've been innovating our entire life, but we can utilize a tool that now will speed it up by three times. And it was going to happen anyways, but now it can just go faster. So I think it's going to be an amazing thing and honestly change the world. And I understand there's people out there that I don't think so, but I don't know. We're young. Exactly. It's our job to think optimistically and and, and really dream about what the future could be. Um, One thing I want to bring up with that, do you currently, have you ever thought about integrating AI images into the newspaper, your product? Um, I I don't know if it currently has images or not, but just on the topic of AI, I started thinking about chat GPT is obviously primarily writing or is writing. But they also OpenAI offers different apps. Other people offer apps, or I don't know. I don't know if you call them apps, yeah, but like, sites for, for yeah, building like images Valley or whatever. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Has that ever been something you've thought like? I don't know if you've gotten feedback on images or if if you use images right away. But thoughts on that idea at all? Yeah. So we don't use images right now, except for marketing materials. And actually, I hundred percent would like we've been looking into it because. There's such a legal issue right now with taking images uh, or taking pictures of individuals with dementia utilizing our product because there's that idea that they aren't aware and they haven't given consent. They could sign it, like sign paperwork to say we could take photos of them, but they mentally just can't give consent. And so there's that legal and moral issue right there. And if we could use AI imaging, we can just jump over that stuff. We don't have to worry about that at all. And what I love about it is you can kind of create situations that you need. You don't have to go and pay thousands of dollars to go set up a photo shoot in a nursing home, give them all like free products, that type of stuff. Um, and I think jumping over that legal issue is the benefit that I see is I don't, I, my biggest thing is I don't want to infringe on anyone's privacy, especially when they're living in these care communities, because what people forget is those are their homes. Like that's the, their home and we got to treat us, their home like we're guests. I don't want to barge in there and just take pictures of them and their home without them knowing. And so I think that's kind of where I look at the benefit of images and using AI imaging. And I've tested it a few times. Like I know Canva's doing it right now. And so I've used it for a few PowerPoints and it's amazing, kind of wild what you can do with it. So yeah, I can really see our recents using that in the future, uh, more of marketing especially when we start doing more paid paid marketing. You mentioned the legality and and in some senses, morality issues that come in with the industry that you work in. Has there been any major legal hurdles that have really caused problems that you've really had to pivot around that maybe are things like a lot of people wouldn't necessarily think of, you know, when you mentioned that, um, they that them not being able to like sign consent over for taking pictures, you know, or that sort of thing. Um, have there been major legal hurdles uh, other than that uh, that you've had to really balance around uh, with with recents so far? Thankfully, no, not really. Um, we've had a few issues when we were so at one point we were developing lotions, and um, I ran quickly into the 
whole FDA approval process of how to create lotions, especially as a healthcare product. I think that was the, we just stopped doing it because I, it is a, I don't know if you've ever tried to get an FDA approved product. It's insane. Um, and again, I'm caring about the customer. I don't want to ever create a product that might cause chemical burns, that type of stuff. So going and starting to create these lotions and then listening to the warnings that could happen. I was like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. So thankfully, no, really, we haven't really had any legal issues um, and knock on wood, we won't have any in the future. Uh, yeah, I, I I really try to look out. That's one of the things that I'm always looking for is, okay, how is this potentially a lawsuit? Um, and I think that every entrepreneur has that in the back of their mind at some point. So, um, so you mentioned the lotions and that I, the thing I want to ask about with that is not necessarily that case in particular, but that was a situation where you didn't pivot necessarily on the idea. You just completely dropped it, right? Like for, mm-hmm. for ease of, I mean, terms like that, that's what you did. And sometimes that is necessary. And what I want to ask you now is what are some indicators that you feel once again, not specific to that situation, but there are times in entrepreneurs journeys where they're like, do I need to give this up? Do I need to totally look elsewhere and just scrap this idea? Or do I need to push through it and power through it and get past it? Or do I need to pivot slightly on it? There's, there's constantly those situations. Um, what are some maybe mindset, the, what are some ways that you go about deciding whether or not you're going to pivot, whether or not you're going to power through it or drop it as a whole? Yeah, I think that's something that everyone, when you're creating a product, creating a company has, you somehow get to that uh, fork in the road of, is this going to work? And do I want to continue doing this? I have started multiple companies and I've ended companies because of that. And it's realizing uh, for me, it's where am I creating impact or how am I creating change? And I think that's what entrepreneurship is, is you're creating value and impact through innovation. And you are changing industries, you're changing clients' lives, customers' lives. And so I think when you get to the point where you're, you're, you have a business idea, you really want to create this product, and you realize, okay, maybe there's 100 out there that are already existing, and you don't want to just be a cog in the wheel or basically reinvent the wheel, essentially. Um, I think that's kind of what I always think about is, is this the best use of my time? Am I doing something that someone else is already doing? And then when I try to pivot is, okay, how could I make this different and impact more people's lives? I do that a lot of the times through interviews. I go into, especially when I'm creating a company, like when we were creating Recents, I had an idea of what I wanted it to be. We initially wanted it to be a HelloFresh, essentially, for dementia patients. Very different idea of where we're at now. And I did interviews, and that's when I found out, oh, caregivers don't know how to care for these individuals. They don't know how to create activities. And through that interview, I found that pivot. And so I think that's where I'm always looking for is if I'm going down a road, like I'll go back to the lotion and I think this is a great idea. In my head, I was like, oh, this is going to be a top seller. And then I start to slowly see signs that, okay, maybe people won't want this. Maybe this is hard to create. Is this going to make me money? And then I start to ask those questions and say, okay, what is the best use of my time and money? And I think that's another thing is, when you're running a company, especially as a startup, money is everything. And being able to put the money where it needs to be and where it'll create the most impact is something that I always have to consider as a CEO. And that's where I'm pivoting. I either choose to pivot or to end it and start something, go on, put my energy into something else. And I do that with business ideas that, like in general. Um, we met at a business competition where I was pitching a company called Just Pause, which is a bipolar um, mania tracking app. And it's a very needed app. It's a very needed thing. And I didn't, I decided to not pursue it because I didn't have the time to be able to give it my all. And so it's not that it wasn't a good product. It wasn't needed. It's just, you also have to consider, are you doing right by that company and that idea that it's the same thing just with anything that I do is I always have the same mindset with it and the same process. So you, you brought up that creative thinking and the, the ideation sort of, well, you didn't bring it up, but bringing up new ideas, right? The ideation process is something that is required 
whether you're consciously thinking of it or not, to come up with those new ideas. Do you have someone on your team who primarily is an ideator or comes up with those ideas? Is it is it more coming from you? I'm sure it's a blend of both in a way, but are there certain things, uh, certain practices that you use in order to ideate more effectively or efficiently and really come up with new ideas? And then whether you actually implement them or not is, is uh, neither here nor there, but just how you come up with those ideas. Yeah. I like to say that everybody should be an entrepreneurial entrepreneur, whether you're an entrepreneur within a company or you're starting your own, you can have entrepreneurial thinking and anything that you're doing. I do that with my interns, my employees, the same thing. I always ask them at our weekly meetings is what do you think we could do better? And how do you think we could do that? What products do you think we could have? And I always encourage them, again, it's going to sound redundant, is through interviews, customer feedback. I'm doing that daily, weekly, and that's how we create our product. And so that's usually where I, especially for recent, that's how we ideate is I say, okay, a customer said they wanted this and how can we create a product to do that? And we'll find a way to do it. Um, one of the things that I always like to ask is like, okay, in a perfect world, what would you like? What would make your life easier? And then we can find a way to get there. Um, in a, my general life, I'm always thinking about business ideas. I'm always thinking about new ways to help people. And I think how I always ideate and come up with those ideas is finding that pain point is, okay, what is frustrating someone right now? Or what's, frust what's something that frustrated me? And how could I make a product that would create, like solve that solution and create a solution for it? Um, and I think that's the best way to always come up with the business idea because you know you're creating impact and you know you're solving a problem. Um, when you're, to me, when you're creating an idea just because of the money behind it, usually you're not solving a solution or there might not be a solution out there. And so, that's how I always think about it is what is frustrating someone, what is a problem that's creating pain for someone. And then that's where my business ideas come from. And I have a journal. I, anytime I think of one, I just sort of like, Oh, here's a random business idea that I could create. Um, and sometimes they're good ones. Sometimes I look back on it and it's like, nah, that <laughs> wouldn't work, but it's always good to be thinking like that and having that, like, I guess, muscle memory, so if you're, cause when I'm walking around daily life, I'm watching a movie, hanging out with friends, I see something. I was like, that's a business idea. We should run with that. And it's just that idea is how could we solve a problem in the community or fix pain that someone is feeling or having because of a certain situation or product. And that's usually my best business ideas come out of that. So. I think that's when you really know you have the entrepreneurial mindset and that resonates with me when you, when you mentioned you're just walking around everyday life and you see this or that and you're like, Oh, they could do this better. Like this, this business, Oh, that's a business idea. Like this could work, you know, just thinking about that sort of thing, I think is, uh, it's, it's interesting you bring that up and it, and it really is important for anyone who is an entrepreneur going along with that. However, how do you balance the idea of, having new ideas constantly and then knowing when to actually dig into them and potentially act on them versus when you have to say, hold on, we can't spread ourselves too thin. We need to, you know, focus on what we're already doing, get better at that first and, and, and put this on the back burner for now. Cause that's can be a really tough process for people too. You know, they, they have an idea that they really like, they start acting on it. They maybe run into some difficulties and then this new idea sounds really great. And so they're like, oh, I want to do that instead now. And they, you know, start working on that. Never, you can run into a cycle of never really actually getting anywhere. And obviously you're past that from, from a recent standpoint in terms of you're already obviously have some head ground made, but going forward with new ideas, how do you balance that? Yeah, I think that's the hardest thing for me. I am a like, textbook ADHD person and like imagine the squirrel on the wall like running around that's my brain and I will every day be like okay here's my new business I want to start and I think balancing exactly how you said it it's balancing the energy that you have and you only have a certain amount amount of hours in the day so where are you going to create the most impact where are you going to help the most and maybe this business idea if you for me I research it 
Um, if I really like something, I'll ask friends, I'll talk to people, I'll see some of my biggest like mentors and be like, what are your th thoughts about this? And that's how I go, okay, is this going to be my next little um, side hobby that I do when I don't want to work on recents? Is this the next thing that I want to build? Um, and I think my most recent one of those was Just Pause. It was an idea that I had. It's something that I really relate to. And it was saying, okay, this one is one of my better ideas. And I think what got me there is having investors. And so I went and talked to people and they were like, yeah, if you wanted to create this, we'll back you. We'll give you the money to create this app. And that just showed me there is a need. Because um, some business ideas are great. They're funny. They're like, I had one about uh, basically custom making socks and um, just with funny phrases and stuff. That's goofy. Just Pause is something that I could see impact. I could see really helping people. And that's where I draw the line is like, okay, is this going to be my next business idea? And is that how I want to pursue my time? And I don't know if you've ever heard of the phrase, but my, I like to think of entrepreneurship as redemptive entrepreneurship. It's making like value and impact through innovation and giving back to society. So it's, we've been given so much in life and society has done so much for us. It's taught us where we need to be. When we start to actually make money, we need to give that back and help the smaller entrepreneurs or people that were in our like shoes. So for me, it's a younger younger entrepreneur who might not know what he's doing and helping them out or helping homeless, like that type of thing. And so that's where I draw the line is, okay, is this redemptive? Is this going to be creating redeeming impact? Or is it just a goofy idea that I want to start with a few friends, that type of thing. And I kind of just like narrow my list down that way. But it is a balancing act. And I think it's especially for entrepreneurs that um, my mentor always told me it's like the uh, shiny object syndrome where it's looking really fun. We want to do it. And then it dies off in two weeks. Uh, that's a waste of time. And I think it's being able to analyze when it's shiny object syndrome or when it's actually something that would work and be the next business that I want to create. One word that we've brought up a lot so far in this podcast has been impact. Society, there seems to be a common belief that our generation cares a lot more about impact than maybe previous generations, or they, they, they are really focused on making a difference, leaving a legacy. Um, what are your thoughts on that? What do you think goes into that? Do you think it is in fact true that our generation seems to care a lot more about that? Do you think that's maybe not true totally? Or, well, then also, why do you think that might be the case? Yeah, I think our generation likes to throw around the term impact. And um, I think just like you said, making a legacy, that type of thing. But I, the thing that I always like to look at is where it's the motivation behind it. Um, are you motivating to get the most followers on Instagram? Are you post like, posting inspirational stories just to like gain followers, get respect, that type of thing. Or are you creating an impact that's actually going to change the world? Um, and I think that our generation is also doing that well. I think we're being taught to give back and to change the world in the tiny ways. Earlier generations were more focused on the nine to five job and then having a family. We didn't really think about the environment or um, like ways that we could change the world and help other people. And I do think if you look over the generations, I think that is something that has slowly started. And now we're at the generation where it's kind of a focus um, of doing that and creating that impact. And for me, I always used to say, so I ran a nonprofit in high school where I taught teenage entrepreneurship. And my slogan for that was influence, inspire, and inform. So if you can like influence people and have them change community, community, you can influence society and then ultimately change the world. And I think that's the way that I like to look at it is you can work in your tiny community, make some impact there, change the mindset and ways people are thinking, then they'll go to society and then that'll get spread out to the world. That's how I like to look at that motivation is I'm the impact that I'm trying to create, it's not for my name. I don't want to set a legacy for me. I want to help change something that's been years in the making. Like um, 
one of the biggest things for me is called hidden poverty. A lot of people don't think about it, but it's when you live in a generation or an area where it's very wealthy, but there are there is poverty in there. They might not be above or under the poverty line, but they're not able to make the ends meet. That's something that I think needs institutional change. Um, and that's impact for me is trying to make bring awareness to that. So yeah, you can imp impact people's lives and people can post Instagram stories. They can be influencers. I think that's the term, that's a hot term right now is influencer. Everyone wants to be one, TikTok, all that. Um, but for me, it's the motivation. Where's the motivation behind that? Is it selfish or is it actually wanting to see change in the world and wanting to see it in our generation? And I think that's also something to think about is a lot of the change that I want to make, I will never see happen, but I can get it going so that in the next generation, it does happen. I don't, I think that's just like an interesting way of looking at it, but it decreases that selfish motivation for me is by looking at it at that, in that way. One thing you brought up there that I, I really liked was the idea of starting kind of within your community, starting small. I think everyone tying into this impact aspect, everyone wants to just make this huge, massive global difference. And I'm not saying that's not you know, that's not a valiant thing to pursue, but I, I don't think enough people are focused on starting small and knowing that you have to start somewhere. And if you can have day-to-day -day activities in your life that are helping to make your community better, like you, you've mentioned the nonprofits you've done, that's clearly not to scale and, and well scale, but it's clearly not to just make a ton of money for yourself. Obviously it's a nonprofit, right? Making those small impacts here and there throughout your community and throughout just the people even that you interact with, you know, smiling to people, saying hi sure. to them, complimenting them, little things like that, that I think people are so concerned with making widespread global impact, which has a place, but they, they overlook the smaller day-to-day -day impacts that they can make constantly. And if everyone did that, there would be less need for the massive global overturn impact. So I think that was an important thing you brought up there. And, and, and going along with impact, uh, nonprofit, philanthropy, that's another thing I want to ask you about. How do you approach philanthropy and, and giving back as your financial success grows? Yeah, so I have always been philanthropic at heart. I think I always tell people nonprofit is my heart and I'm running a for-profit company now, but I, if I could do it again, I'd start it as a nonprofit. Um, and I, again, have that mindset that we've been given so much in life. And if you look at like some of the other countries and how they're living and what their like average income is, that just is heartbreaking to me. And so giving back, even if it's just like you said, in your community, you don't have to do huge, massive donations. You can do tiny ones. You can buy the homeless person food that you see every day when you're driving to work, that type of thing is giving back and philanthropy is tied in with anything that I do. And so, yes, I'm making money, but I do want to give a lot of most of that away. Um, and I think it's the idea of like tithing, giving back to some people give back to churches. Some people do it in like small donations to uh, charitable causes that they like, but you don't have to be donating to charity. You don't have to be doing that. It's just giving back in the community, um, supporting like humane societies, that type of thing. So yes, as financial success, especially uh, for my company grows, I still do that as well. I think even with a company, we need to be focusing on giving back. And that's why I'm trying to start this uh, nonprofit arm to give away a lot of products. Um, sometimes if I have a customer that's like, hey, can't afford this right now, um, would love to use a product, I'll send them free because it breaks my heart that they can't use it. Um, but yeah, philanthropic like fundraising and uh, philanthropy is always something that touches my heart and is a big part of my life and i think doing it in a way that's not um i guess socially motivated i the one thing that really frustrates me is when people like will donate and then put a screenshot on their instagram story of oh here's how much money i donated it's doing it without anyone noticing and it's the tiny things that you do um and you don't need to get noticed for it you don't want to i guess that's kind of where i'm at is do it in a way that you feel drawn to and what you feel comfortable with and anything is anything and it's beneficial. So 
think about philanthropy when you're doing, especially growing a company, even in the smallest stages, you can still give back and impact someone's life. And that's giving free products. You don't have to be donating or doing a nonprofit. It's just giving back, I guess. Luke, what inspired that mindset in you? Because it's certainly not a mindset that everyone has. What do you think shaped kind of the way that you view the world, the way that you look at some of these things that you seem to do pretty, pretty valiantly, you know, and you seem to have your head on your shoulders straight, right? Like you seem to care about the right things and not be selfish as many people are. And, and to be fair, it can be easy to, to have happen when you're in a realm like entrepreneurship and, you know, theoretically that earning potential is, you know, endless. I -hmm. think there's a lot of people that change because of that. What are some ways that you, A, keep yourself grounded with, with your morals, your values, your, your integrity, and then B, where do you think, where did it all begin? How, how did, how did you think you were shaped that way? I think, honestly, it's just my life story. I, it's stuff that's happened to me in life just shows me the need for stuff, uh, for giving back and making change. Um, I was adopted from Kazakhstan and I got into a very like wealthy, I guess, family area. And I'm lucky for that. I'm, I look back and, uh, I look at the pictures of the orphanage that I was in and just hearing from the different stories that if I wasn't adopted by 13, I'd be living on the streets and doing anything to make ends meet. And a lot of the kids didn't get adopted. That breaks my heart. And just seeing that, okay, I was the lucky kid that got to go and live in America, have nice, a nice family that had anything that I needed. I always, I was gifted with a good life. Um, and it, that's a blessing, I think. I also, I'm, I'm not perfect. It's not, it's, it's something that I have to always work on. It's like, yeah, everybody can slip into selfishness and it's easy. I do it every day, but it's being able to say, okay, here's, oh, I can recognize that and say, oh, I am being selfish. What is a way for me to realize that and be able to understand when you are doing something motivated by selfishness or by good in general. And also I just, I'm bipolar. So I, I understand mental illness as well. And that gives me a heart for individuals that go through it and that don't get the support that I got. And I think that's how I look at it. One of the biggest quotes that I've ever heard in life is, I don't know if you ever read the book Wonder, um, but in the end, he has these precepts where he's being taught all these different truths and sayings that are just helping him live his life. And the last one is everybody's fighting or fighting a hard battle. And if you really want to know who someone is, just look. And that changed my life. Just thinking about that is you can walk around day to day and you can see people that look like they're living their best life, that look like they have everything together. But if you actually start to talk to them and actually start to look into their life, they might be struggling really bad with mental illness or just family problems, that type of thing. Um, And I think that's just always been, that changed my life. And that mindset is everybody's fighting a hard battle. And a lot of people don't share it. And a lot of people don't talk about it. But how could I be that person that lets them talk about it, lets them figure out a way to help them, that type of thing. And I, I guess I was raised like that too. My parents always, always had me thinking like this. So um, I was blessed for that and blessed to be able to get, my mom is a social worker um, and the geriatric field. So ever since I was little, I was volunteering in nursing homes, that type of thing. And so I was raised in this mindset, but also it's a daily reminder. I have to wake up and choose it. It's not something that comes naturally. So. I think that's an important distinction you add you be, we're sure to add there that it's, it's a daily thing. You have to stay consistent with it. It takes a certain degree of, of discipline in a way to be able to check yourself. A lot of people talk about discipline in other areas and in areas of such as, you know, motivating yourself, not motivating, but disciplining yourself to get the work done. Right. Or, Or a lot of times it's your nose to the grindstone to, to accomplish what you want to accomplish. And it certainly is extremely relevant in that sense, but also disciplining yourself to keep yourself in check and know when, okay, when am I getting selfish? When am I getting greedy? When do I need to take a step back and really think about why I'm doing something that I'm doing? So I think that daily aspect you bring up is extremely important as well. Um, Perhaps not on the 
philanthropical side of things or the the mindset of of giving back side of things, but perhaps it is. What is a book that you have found to be ex- extremely influential? I know you mentioned Wonder. Is there another one or is there one in a different area that you, that you find to be extremely influential throughout your life? Yeah, there's a few. Um, one of the biggest business books I think I ever read was Delivering Happiness by Tony Hsu, or um, the founder of Zappos. And he basically just walked through his entrepreneurial journey. And what I loved about it is he didn't phrase it. He didn't write the book based off of his successes. He wrote the book based off of his failures. And as a young entrepreneur, when I was reading this for the first time, that was so influential because we look at entrepreneurship and we see all these amazing people making so much money and it looks like it comes easy. And being able to hear from one of the biggest companies in the world that this is how he failed. He failed here, 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 here. And this is how he overcame it. Anyone that's thinking about entrepreneurship should read that book. Um, another one is it's called Do Hard Things. And I read that as a teenager. And I think it's just the same mindset as pushing yourself to do hard things and do things that you're not comfortable with. Um, it's a very good, uh, it was a very good book for me. Public speaking, I hate it. I absolutely do not like it. Uh, but I push myself to do hard things. And running a company means you public speak all the time. You, you're pitching, you're talking to strangers. And I think that's a good book to read if you just need to be encouraged on, okay, how do I push myself beyond my comfort zone and what are ways to do that? Um, so those are probably the two books that I really enjoyed. Yeah, you mentioned pushing yourself beyond your comfort zone. And I mean, that is the avenue for all growth, really. You can't grow inside in, in, a, in a super safe, not in the literal sense, but in a, in a mental kind of like completely safe environment where you're never pushing yourself to grow at all. You're never, you're never kind of testing your limits in, in responsible ways. It doesn't unlock the avenue, the same avenue, at least to, to the degree of growth that is possible within yourself. So I think that's, that's one that really connects with me. I have not read that book but I might have to because I, that's, that's an area that, I, that really interests me and, and I think is extremely important. Um, Luke, what would you say to someone, to a young entrepreneur? I know you're humble and I know you would say, you know, you, you don't know everything yet and, and none of us do. But coming from the perspective of that you have a, a ton of knowledge to give and, and, and not humble at all, what would you say to someone who is really looking to you for advice as far as they fear failure? They want to be an entrepreneur, but they know that it comes with failure and they, they don't know what to do. They're struggling to take that first step because of that. What would you say to that person? Uh, yeah. Um, fail and fail hard. I think that's kind of what I would say is a lot of people, especially me, when I was uh, like starting a nonprofit at 15 years old, I never asked for help. I was like, oh, I'm going to do this on my own and I'm going to do it the way I want to do it is I think talking to people and asking for help because everybody knows something more than you. I think we kind of talked about that before. That is a success point behind entrepreneurship. And that's something that I didn't ever realize until now is failing is so beneficial, especially in the early stages of a company. Um, Don't be afraid of it. Like, and everyone says that everyone says, don't be afraid of failure, but it takes uh you have to personally choose that to be able to like understand it and be okay with it. Um, the other thing that I always like to say is every interaction, everything we already kind of talked about this, but every experience is a life learning lesson. You might not know it then, and it might take you a couple months to figure out, but by the end of it, you'll learn something from it and you can look back on it and being able to look for those opportunities is being able to like look and say, okay, how did this horrible thing or good thing, teach me something. What's something that I will learn and be able to not do again. Um, that's like the biggest thing and being okay with risk. I think a lot of people aren't okay with it, but it's the only way you survive as an entrepreneur. Every interaction, every decision you make is risky. Um, and being okay with it and seeing the potential payoff. That I think those are like the go-to. I know that they're the classic ones that everybody talks about, but yeah, my biggest one is just like ask for help. People will like anyone, especially if you're a young entrepreneur, they like to talk about themselves and they like to talk about things that they know and are good at. 
So ask for them. They, they want to help you. Um, and you can learn a lot. So. One thing that I, I really think con- connects fear of failure, uh, fear of risk, not wanting to talk to a mentor, to, to really learn something from them, not wanting to admit that you don't know it. Embracing vulnerability is something that I really think is at the heart of all of those things, right? You, and really at the heart of entrepreneurship as a whole, I mentioned this in the last episode, but embracing that vulnerability, that's what entrepreneurship is. You are putting yourself out there. It's not the conventional thing to do. It might seem like it's the trendy thing and people say, you know, they're an entrepreneur. Like there's a lot more fake entrepreneurs than there are like people who truly, I think, have it in them. And embracing that vulnerability because an entrepreneur is going out, not doing the conventional thing and putting yourself out there for other people to say, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? That's not what I th- we thought you'd be doing. Like anything that you are backing that's out of the, out of the norm is, is something that other people, since it's out of the norm, aren't backing and you're going to get pushback and that fear of failure. If you fail, you might get, you know, made fun of, you might this or that, like there, there's risk. You that's just tied into failure, admitting to someone you don't know things. One thing I find extremely interesting is when I was in college, I just graduated by the way. So it's not like I'm old and wise, but it seems like people have a natural fear, whether it's public speaking in classrooms, but of asking questions nobody asks questions these days. I feel like it's just, yep, nod the head, like whether you're really listening or not, professors, okay, you know. I think seeing people who ask questions is, is, a, is a pretty good indicator, not, not directly correlative of like future success, but, but it is, it, there's something there, I think. People that are really willing to ask questions because that means they're putting themselves out there, you know, not worried about what other people are going to think. They might think, oh, I, I don't want to ask this question. Everyone else in the room is going to think I'm dumb. When in reality, everyone else in the room probably has that same question and they don't want to ask it either, right? But being the one to ask that question, that's something, once again, I'm not super wise. I don't you know, have a ton of wisdom, but that's one thing that I always tried to do in, in college and in schooling in general was I tried to make a point to ask a question every day or to just simply never not ask a question. Because I would like, if I had a question about my head, I would ask it to make myself kind of do hard things, right? I didn't maybe want to do it because I was thinking, ah, people are going to judge me. They might think I don't know what I'm doing. But in reality, when I saw people ask questions, I was like, I I respect them because like a lot of people don't do that. And it it ties in with embracing the vulnerability of just a mentor and and admitting that you don't know everything. Like this person, you'll, you'll put a mentor in front of someone and tell them that, this person has done exactly what you're trying to do. They've failed exactly how you're probably going to fail or have failed. And they can give you steps to streamline your success process and get to where you want to go quicker. And people will be like, I don't know. And, and I was one of those people like a few years ago. Now I, I essentially made this podcast to learn from people who I think are extremely smart individuals and network with them going forward as, you know, kind of peer mentors in a way, Right. And I think of them more as mentors than peers because a lot of you guys have done way cooler things than I have, you know? So I, I think that's such an extremely important thing and a way that I've grown for sure is like in the past, I want to do things on my own, not necessarily because I didn't, I don't know if it was just because I, I, I just thought I was, I was confident in my abilities and I was like, oh, I know I can do this. So I'm just going to do it on my own. I don't, I don't want anyone to help me because I, I don't want to burden them with helping me. And then also I just, I know I can do it. And I think that confidence is a good thing to have, but also when you have a mentor that, or potentially seeking out a mentor that can literally just help you through exact things that they've already gone through. I think that's just extremely important and something you brought up in that advice to people that mentorship, you know, embracing vulnerability, not fearing risk, using risk as learning. It's only a failure if you let it be a failure. You know, your definition of failure society's definition of failure is, you know, just not succeeding, I guess. But if you view failure as, well, if I don't succeed, that's a learning opportunity. The only way I'll fail is if I quit. I think that's an, an extremely important way to look at it. And I think that's kind of how I want to wrap this episode up is just that idea that you have to view failure as a learning opportunity. And the only way that you truly fail is if you give up or if you don't try, because then you'll never know what could have been. So Luke, 
thank you very much, founder, CEO of Resense. Um, what's your website? How can people reach you? And, and maybe, I know you're not necessarily a B2C company, but just if they want to look and, yeah. and, and find out more about, about Resense, how can they find you? Um, we have resensebox.com. So that's R-E-S-E-N-S-E box.com. You can find anything about me. You can schedule a meeting with me. And then we also have our website where you can buy all of our products. Um, if dementia has touched you in any way, shape or form, reach out. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to learn from you. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for allowing me to be on this and just kind of share my journey. Thank you extremely much for extremely. Thank you so much for coming on, man. It was, it was an awesome episode. I feel like we could literally talk for hours and I hope to have you on again. I hope it's something you want to do again. I had a whole lot of fun. So thanks again, Luke, and good luck with everything going forward.